I got drafted in 04 by the Oakland A's, put on the big league roster in 2008, and um, something crazy happened. I ended up uh, getting a tumor in my abdomen. What's up, my brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast, where we talk about all things pertaining to life on and off the fireground. The views and the opinions expressed are those of the guest and myself, your host, Rain Gray. Uh, today's podcast, we sat down with Richie Rob Nett, a former Major League Baseball player turned firefighter. We had a great conversation about life uh, as a ball player and some of the transition into the fire service. Uh, great conversation. Uh, give it a listen. Hope you enjoy. Grew up in California, uh, mostly Southern California. Moved around a lot, probably uh, from Los Angeles area to Pasadena to the San Fernando Valley. Um, grew up with uh, me, my older brother, my older sister, and my mom for the majority of my life. My mom got remarried when I was about 15, and we moved to Central California, just south of Fresno, a little small town called Visalia. Like in the lettuce belt? <laughs> Pretty much. It's like all agriculture right around there. Um, and so I had... Uh, Transferred high schools when I was a junior in high school, and I finished out high school out there in Visalia at Redwood High School, where I graduated. And then uh, proceeded to go to Santa Barbara City College um, for a couple years, and then I transferred to Fresno State University um, after that. And that was just growing up mostly um, when I was in high school. Um, loved to play sports, um, played football, played baseball. Um, I started to play basketball initially um, in the first couple years, and then I stopped playing my last couple years. Um, but, uh, you know, grades was a big issue with me in high school. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah, I, it was a kind of a thing like to where I felt like I was almost inadequate a little bit, but what I come to learn was that I wasn't really applying myself in that arena. I didn't like when people would, you know, tell me when when I have to study, how I have to study, and things like that. So it was almost kind of a rebellious thing at the same time. Um, and then when I started seeing that it was affecting my sports, I really started to see how serious it was. Hey, now you're not eligible, so now you can't play football, and now I can't play baseball. Like, I grew up playing baseball. I've always loved baseball, had a passion for baseball, and... I couldn't play baseball until my junior year of high school because of grades. And um, it was no one's fault but my own. And um, I didn't really even see myself going to college post-high school, really. And uh, until I um, started getting my grades together, um, you know, my mom was getting on me a lot harder as far as my schoolwork was going and started bringing up my grades. And, you know, she was like, hey, you know, you better step it up or you're not going to be playing any sports. You're not going to be doing nothing, staying at home. And um, started turning it around, i say, my junior year, which is, you know, when you start thinking of recruiting and things like that, it starts becoming a little too late. And um, <laughs> I went to, uh, I remember uh, the winter break, I went down to Long Beach State for a baseball camp. And uh, the coach down there really liked me. And he was like, hey, he's like, if you can get your grades up, and uh, do well on your SATs. He's like, I'd love to get you over here playing. So that was a big encouragement for me. Like, hey, you know what? I can go do something else. So, you know, what's funny you say that, like this idea that, hey, I can go do something else. I It's so interesting because there's the idea of 
what is the vision I have for myself? Like, mm-hmm. and, and then what does it take to make that happen? I feel, you know, I had a similar, uh, story as far as education goes. Like I, at high school, I, the reward was in socializing. The reward was in playing sports. Mm-hmm. That's what I could do. And I didn't see the connection to academics and how that played out in the rest of my life. Right. Right. Cause it, it there was no reward in it in high school for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, there was a couple of waves of time when I was, uh, had no other distractions and did really well in school. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, you mean you can do well if you apply yourself? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, it actually what it took. Cause I was like my first couple of years of high school, um, you know, single mom. So she worked a lot, wasn't at home a lot and stuff like that. And so it was literally, I was coming home, throwing my backpack down and I was off to the races, whether I was riding my bike you know, going yeah. to the park to play basketball, doing whatever else it was besides right. my schoolwork. Right. And then um, when she had met my stepdad, um, we ended up moving up to Visalia with him. So now she was at home a lot more. So was able to spend that one-on-one time with me a lot mm-hmm. more. And um, she was on me nonstop about do this, do this, and this is how you can do it. And then my stepdad started giving me, you know, incentives. Hey, you know what? If you can get a A on this biology test or whatever, I'm gonna get you a new baseball bat, stuff like that. Oh, things and, are important to you. Yeah, yeah, things that were important <laughs> to me. And so um, I started really, really studying. And so, but what that did for me was I got that good grade and I got a B on a test. And I was like, oh my gosh, I got a B on a biology test. And then all of a sudden, that started encouraging me more to do well in in my history classes, my uh, language arts classes and everything else. And so I was like, I know if I study this hard and I put this much time into it, I can do this. Yeah. And then it was like, okay, now I got this. Now how can I do it better? Now how can I do better? And yeah. it started progressing to where, shoot, I was like at like a first couple of years of high school, like a 1.7 GPA to where I finished high school, like about a 2.5, just how much I've gotten my grades up because my junior and senior year, I didn't get anything less than a 3.0. Nice. And, um, and so uh, what happened was with my SATs, I was just, so now I'm studying for my SATs. I really want to go to Long Beach State now. And that's all I'm focused on is I want to go to Long Beach State. And I was just like, the SATs is just, I could not focus long enough on that test. And I don't know what it was. We mm-hmm. did all kind of tutoring, everything, and just didn't work out for me, long story short. And so um, I was like, well, maybe I, you know, I can go to uh, Long Beach City College and then I can transfer right over. And so my stepdad, he uh, he did his undergraduate at um, UC Santa Barbara. And he's like, well, he's like, why don't you go check out Santa Barbara, you know, see if you like it. If you're going to go to junior college, you might as well go somewhere where it's going to be a little bit more fun and entertaining. And so I was like, no, no, I just want to go to Long Beach. He's like, well, let's just go check it out. So we went out there and I saw how beautiful it was out there. I was like... Yeah, I'll go ahead. <laughs> Sold and try for this all out the here. wrong reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I think I can do this out here. So that was my first experience being away from home. Yeah, and uh, now I'm in college, and it was actually pretty cool because they had it set up for the junior college kids, just like the kids that went to UC Santa Barbara. So we're all in the same dormitories and stuff like that. So they had some of the dormitories for the city college kids and the other ones for the UC kids, and. Um, and so I had to experience that college life, even right. though I was going to a junior college. Mm-hmm. And um, and what I started realizing is, okay, now I'm only accountable for myself. There's nobody here to tell me when to study, how to study. The, the professors aren't on me about anything, you know. And right. 
it actually, I feel like I flourished in that type of atmosphere because I did take accountability and I was like, and I started understanding that, hey, if I don't do what I'm supposed to do in the classrooms, I can't be out there with my team. I can't be out there practicing. Well, and it sounds like you learned that lesson your junior year in high school, right? Like yeah. you started to recognize that, hey man, I'm getting pushed to do this and man, there's a reward. If I if I put a little bit of effort in, boom, yeah. I get a good grade. You're like, oh that there's a reward in that itself. Absolutely. And and I think uh well, I mean you're probably gonna go there, but I would say as an athlete, you recognize that the, it's very similar, right? Mm-hmm. If I go out and I train hard and work on my skill set, man, I get better at it. I see the reward. Mm-hmm. And it's applicable to the playing field. Same thing here. I go into a test environment where I prepared for it, yeah. boom, I get a good grade. Absolutely. It, it's, I feel funny laughing about this to myself because I, I figured that out mm-hmm. years after high school, right? It wasn't until I was in the Marine Corps and off in my life, and then I started you know, realizing that uh, when you apply yourself academically, man, there's some reward there. And, Absolutely. Uh, and when I started going to, when I went back and went to college and started realizing that uh, I'm paying money, and if I don't do well, I'm going to lose all this money <laughs> that I'm putting on the table. I'm like, well, that's not acceptable. Well, and then if I just do a little bit of work, there's a return on that investment of energy and work. That's yeah. really kind of rewarding. And, and that was huge. The money thing, you know, hey, I'm paying for all my classes. So not passing a class was not an option. Not an option. Not at all. 100%. But you, you're exactly right. When you start seeing yourself succeed, at least academically, is what I saw was that there was that sense of accomplishment. Hmm. And... um I was like, but like I said, it, and all it did was just drive me, okay, I can do better. Let me do better. Okay, now I'm on the president's honor roll. Okay, okay, how can I do better? And um, what I saw uh, was that did translate over to the field because not only am I working hard in the class, but it drove me to work harder when I was out on the practice field, when I was out there playing. And because I wanted to live up to, you know, that school's reputation, and they had a pretty decent baseball team for a junior college out in California. And I was like, shoot, I was like, I didn't have a guaranteed spot on that team. So I knew, like you said, I had to work. I had to work on this. And so I was constantly working. I was there early, you know, in the batting cages, out on the field, um, doing extra work, staying later um, so I can earn my spot on the field. And yeah. then, So were you a walk-on? Yes. Basically. Well, yeah, well, especially, yeah, with junior college too. Yeah, there's, there's no guaranteed for anybody really at okay. the junior college level. Um, and so um, pretty much walked on. And then what I saw was, okay, during that first year, I actually, I got hurt that first year. I tore my pectoral muscle in the uh, gym working out, uh, bench pressing. And so it kind of uh, put me out for probably about six weeks of that season uh, to recover from that. And then when I started coming back, I remember I was trying to get back as fast as I can because I wanted to start playing. And I was pretty much swinging the bat with one hand because <laughs> I wasn't completely healed. I, I didn't want to get the surgery done to get the muscle reattached. I was like, I just want to get better so I can get back on the field and play. And at the end of the season, I remember getting a phone call. This was in June of 2002 uh, from a scout from the Los Angeles Dodgers, and they had drafted me in the 32nd round. And I was like, what? I was like, Dodgers? I was like, that's my favorite team. That's who I grew up watching. I was like, I couldn't believe it. But then at the same time, that's where I started seeing myself really grow uh, uh, with my maturity. Um, in the sense that I was like, you know, I was like, this sounds really great. I really want to go play professional baseball. I never thought that, you know, they would be looking at me or there's even scouts watching me. And, uh, but I was like, I'm not ready to go play. And I just knew like where I was in my life and my mentality and, um, my ability at that time to even play sports, I was not ready to go. And why, so why not? Um, 
Because just the maturity level and going to play every single day, it's different than playing a college season when you're playing two games a week or three games a week, and now it's every single day, and now it's competition. Now this is life, Mm -hmm. and I'm competing with somebody every single day to keep a job. I wasn't ready for that at all. I was still very raw in my ability to play because I didn't have all that other uh, playing experience that other people have had because I didn't start playing again until my junior year of high school. And and then I got hurt um, that uh, season. And so I lost a lot of games and things like that. And there's a lot of things I knew that I still needed to develop and get better Mm -hmm. if I wanted to compete at that level. And looking back on it now, I think it was a great decision because I think I would have been out of baseball that quick mm-hmm. if I would have signed with them. And, um, and so I told him, I was like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to school. Um, and, uh, so what they could do is do what's called like a draft and follow, meaning that they can sign you before the next year's draft. They would have first opportunity to sign you okay. if you want to go back and play. So I was like, okay, that'd be great. And, um, next year comes around and, I was like, I started kind of seeing my some of my grades uh, start to falter a little bit. And I literally like grounded myself. And I was like, I'm not going out. I'm not hanging out with anybody. I got to get my grades back up. Um, you know, I had this expectation of myself now. You know, it wasn't, no, the 3.0 was good enough. No, 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 no. 3.5 or better now. And, um, and so uh, – my coach had ended up firing all of our position coaches and he brought on another pitching coach, which was his brother. So now we had two pitching coaches on a team to coach not only pitchers, but catchers, infielders, position players, hitters, everything. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not really getting better out here on the, on the field. And so I was like, well, I'm going to practice by myself and just work out by myself, but I really need to focus on my grades and get my grades up because this has taken too much time for me. And what I did find was that I did was able to use time management well when I was practicing and stuff like that. It kept me very scheduled mm-hmm. in what I was doing. But like I said, I wasn't satisfied with the work I was getting done in the classroom. And I really wanted to, fo- now my focus was I really want to transfer to a good university. Right. And um, now, so let me ask you this. Were you, were you driven at that point by this idea of, uh, what education can do for me or were you know was it was it the academic piece of it or were you you know was baseball i mean because i see i hear you talking about uh being very self-aware in two different areas right so like both baseball mm-hmm. and academics right and then now you're talking about transitioning to a, a four-year university mm-hmm. and um so what was your thought process so my thought process was i wanted to go to a four-year university and go play baseball there mm. and, and go to that next level but also because of the opportunity that school would offer me um, more so than playing baseball. You know, playing baseball, I, I understood very early how such an unloyal business professional sports is mm-hmm. and need something to fall back on, you it, know. And at the same time, there is that shelf life that you have as a player. So, you know, yes, you got to take your kind of take your opportunities when you get them. But I was still young. You know, I'm 19 years old. You know, I still had time. And, um, yeah. Well, do you feel like that was something that was instilled in you by your folks, or where did you kind of I think so. figure that out? So I think it seems so, awfully yeah. mature to me. Um, I think it was more my parents. Um, yeah. that's absolutely is instilled that they, you know, they both have higher educations, and, you know, that's something that they used to always preach. Or like, you know, you're selling yourself short by, not getting your work done in school. This is back when they're talking to me in high school and stuff like that. Right. And um, and I never really understood it, 
But then as I was, like I said, as I started going through college more and started taking different classes, and now I can choose my schedule, choose what classes I want to take and what I want to focus on um, as far as majors and things like that, I started understanding that these things create opportunity for you elsewhere in the world. And, um, and so I was like, well, I can do two birds with one stone and go play at a division one. I, I felt like I was capable of doing that. Hey, I got drafted to play baseball. I think I'm good enough to go play for a division one college somewhere. And, um, and so my first thought was go to UC Santa Barbara and just kind of just transfer over and cross the street. <laughs> yep. And, um, and so, cause I played for a summer team out there in Santa Barbara called the Santa Barbara Foresters, which was made up of guys from University of Texas, Alabama, USC, UCLA, Irvine, all these divisions. And I was like, and I was keeping up with these guys. I was like, I can play with these guys. Um, There's so, just like an off season. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a summer. It's a, yeah, it's a summer league that you can do. You know, throughout the summer, it's a wood bat league, and so yeah, just to keep guys playing and stuff like that. And um, and so, um, I was like, well, I can go right over to UCSB. Well, UCSB didn't want me, so I was like, okay, well. Um, I wasn't playing that full season, and so the Dodgers didn't want to draft me or didn't want to sign me because I didn't play that season. I went up to Fresno State, and I went to go talk to the coach. I was like, I'm going to go have a sit-down with this coach. I gave him a call, set up a meeting with him, and I said, hey, I kind of grew up in this area just south in a town called Visalia. He knew he was very familiar with it, very familiar with my high school. Um, and uh, I was like, hey, I'm just looking for a place to play. I was like, I understand. Um you know, you haven't seen me play and stuff like that. You know, here's what I've done this far. You know, I've got drafted by the Dodgers and this and that. And he was like, he was like, okay. He was like, you know, I can do is I can give you a letter of intent. Can't give you any money. Can't give you any type of scholarship. And I'm going to come and watch you over the summer. And so he came and he was very familiar with my uh, summer league coach because, you know, he has all those relationships. Well, yeah, so probably fairly small circles. Yeah. Right? And so um, he came and watched me play liked what he saw, gave me my letter of intent. And um, and so, yes, I was a walk-on. I had a letter of intent, but I was a walk-on in the sense that I didn't have scholarship. Right. And so I still had to earn a spot on that team. And so um, got my associate's degree um, and transferred to Fresno State. Went there in the fall, practiced, worked hard, um, got progressively better throughout that fall, and um, – he surprised me over the winter, over our winter break. He called me into his office. He was like, hey, Richie, I got to talk to you. And I'm thinking, oh, God. Here like, comes the axe. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> he was like, I just want to let you know. He was like, I've been talking uh, with the boosters and um, with our athletic director, and we want to offer you a scholarship nice. for the rest of the semester. So it was pretty, pretty cool, and it was exciting. And he was like, I, he's like, you know, I, I can't even imagine, the, you know, the work that you put in you know, coming here with all this uncertainty, you know, I already told you that I have a center fielder and, and this and that, and this guy's going to be playing. He'd get this much scholarship. And, you know, the way that it works with baseball is, at least back then, it was 11.2 full scholarships for an entire team. So you're talking 25 to 30 people that they got to split up mm. those scholarships. So their, their center fielder had 80% scholarship, <laughs> which means he's more than likely going to be on the field. Yeah. Well. If I not, ended, what kind of a wasted investment is that? Exactly. <laughs> and so um, I ended up uh, winning the spot over him in center field, and then I pushed him off to left field. Mm. And um, and then I just never looked back. And then that season, so all of a sudden it was like, okay, well, who's this Robnett kid? And that season was set up perfect to where I 
played against all the top ranked pitchers that were that all the scouts were looking to go like in the first round that year and um I had no idea. I'm ignorant to all these pitchers and this and that. And I always hear guys on my team or friends, oh, yeah, wait till we face these guys and this guy because they faced them last year or whatever right. it was. I'm like, oh, I don't care about all that. I had a good summer league uh, with the wood bat league. So now I got the metal bat back in my hand. I was like, you couldn't tell me anything. I was like, oh, I'll be fine. And so um, season started and we start playing. And then all of a sudden I'm starting to face these pitchers. Once again, I don't know the hype that these pitchers have, but – you would see it in the in the in the stands. It was like you know you go to some games and there'll be a million scouts in the stands with the radar guns. Uh-huh. They put them down, and so the feedback that I started getting was they're there watching these pitchers, and then I'm out there and I'm doing well. And it's like, well, who's this kid? Where did he come from? You and, know? and are you hit, are you batting well? Oh yeah, hitting off these yeah. guys. Batting so well. that's so bodes well for you if these are you know the, yes. the scouts are watching these pitchers exactly. and you're hitting balls off of them and this was going to be a heavy pitchers draft everybody knew uh, it teams needed pitching hmm. and so like i mean i think i faced the top 15 pitchers that went in the draft that year and i did well um against them and my stock just started rising just based off of the talent i was playing hmm. i don't think i changed as a player in my ability or my talent level but my consistency got better, you know, and then now I'm more of a big stage rather than so now I'm getting more looks and things like that. Right. And so, um, well, so I have a question for you. Do you think your mindset would have been disrupted had you known the hype that these guys were coming to the table with, or were you at, because you were kind of unaware of it, or were you uh, unaware? Did you? So I was unaware in the sense that how are they going to affect me, you know, pitching against me and things like that. Like, I didn't know the full hype to them, but, you know, they would kind of talk about it in there. But like yeah. I said, I, I think I was just in my own zone that I was like, ah, that's fine. Well, we'll yeah. wait to see when they pitch against me. And um, But, yes, absolutely. Like, when you hear a lot of hype on somebody and then you're going in there, you're kind of expecting them to do this or do that. Right. And it could throw your plan off a little bit, you know, when you have to play. Because when, when I'm hitting and stuff like that, I always have a plan. And there's a, I always had a plan A, plan B, plan C. And depending on the type of pitcher is what plan I was going up there with. Or they call it like an approach. And um, and so what happened was my stock started rising. I started talking to more and more scouts, started filling out more and more paperwork. And now I'm starting to move on to like these big old psych exams that they're doing for me and, <laughs> and all these different things. And um, it went from, oh, you know, yeah, well, he's looking to go between the 28th and the 35th round to by the end of the year. Oh, he's going to be somewhere in the top three rounds. And, um, and it happened just in that season. Um, and like I said, it was just a blessing of because of the competition that I played against and who I was playing against at the time. I think that's what I credit it to. And, um, but at the same time, now I'm in school. I'm, I'm, um, I'm doing well in school still. Um, and I'm able to manage my time on the field my time in the classes, our travel, everything else, and my grades are right where they need to be, and um, focusing on my major, and that's what's still the same thing that I kept thinking about. I wasn't relying on baseball. I've never yeah. relied on what baseball. What were you majoring in? I was majoring in business, Okay. And, um, and I just never relied on baseball because I'm like, shit, I can get hurt any single day, you know? Yeah, I think that's a smart move, right, because you just... It, you got to diversify your portfolio, so to yeah. speak, right? And, uh, and I think a lot of uh, young athletes get focused on the one track, and mm-hmm. they don't have a, 
uh, uh, any alternative plans. Right. So it's it's smart that you were thinking about that. And so, um, yeah. And so the uh, I remember I've talked to every single team in the big leagues besides the Oakland A's. Didn't talk to them one time. Hmm. And I go, season's done. I go uh, to Tampa and I do a, a workout for the New York Yankees at their uh, spring training complex. And it, that was a big culture shock for me because <laughs> – now I'm in a clubhouse full of all these guys, and I'm going up to talk to certain people, and I'm I'm talking to people that look like me, got got brown skin, you know, look American. I'm like, hey, how's it going? They're just looking at me. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, let me go to the next one. I'm getting my stuff together. I see another guy. Hey, how's it going? They kind of look at me, and all of a sudden, I start hearing them talking. They're speaking Spanish. <laughs> I'm like, what is going on? And so... I never realized the connection of, you know, the Latin players and professional baseball. And it, it was a big culture shock for me because all I knew was California baseball. And, um, and it was something that I had to learn. And I remember for the longest time, I was like, I wasn't saying nothing until I saw somebody's last name. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then it just got to the point to like where I was around them so much. And, you know, it was almost like I can just look at somebody. Okay, that's a Latin person. Oh, that's a black person. You know what I mean? So like that. It, was just, it just became normal. And, uh, but so I was there working out and, um, I remember, uh, my coach, uh, who was out there with me, he had got a call and he was like, Hey, he was like, um, he's like, are you with uh Robnet right now? And he was like, yeah, well, you know, um, he's actually, um, out taking some batting practice. He's like, Oh, well, where's he at? He's like, Oh, we're out here in uh, Tampa right now. Uh, with the, uh, Yankees doing a workout. Oh, oh, oh let me call you back. And so, um. Guy hangs up the phone, doesn't call back, and then the next day is the draft, and we're listening to it on the uh, radio, and um, number 26 pick, they, they called my name, Oakland A's. And you had no idea. I had no idea. Oakland A's draft outfielder, <laughs> Fresno State, Richie Robnett, and I could not believe it. You know, I was like, what? I was just like, it's such a maze. I was like, first round, I go from 32nd round to the first round. And um, so what happened was when they found out I was in uh, Tampa Bay, the GM for the A's at the time, uh, Billy Bean, uh, he told me, he's like, hey, yeah, Rob Nett, he's out in uh, Tampa uh, working out for the Yankees. Well, the Yankees had a pick before the A's, and then they had a pick right after the A's. Uh. And, it, and so the, the A's that had me up on their board in the third round. So Billy, Billy Bean, I guess the story was, he was like, okay. Ticks my name off the third round. Puts it right up to the front. Yeah, we're not going to let the Yankees beat us this time. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and so that's how it came about. And and then I started my professional baseball career from that point on. And um, so I left college early. That was my junior year of college. And um, and so just made it a point to finish college while I was playing baseball. I kept trying to see, okay, well, how can I um, get this done in yeah, the so fall? Yeah, how did that work? And that's so it was hard because it was like, Seasons ending in the fall when school's already like a month and a half in and stuff like that, so it's hard to go back. And then couldn't do it in the spring because that's when season started. So got into the online program. Major League Baseball had a um, good connection with um, University of Phoenix, mm-hmm. and um, and number the one of the first things that I negotiated with the A's was scholarship money, and um, and so I got my uh, rest of my degree paid for nice through Oakland, and then also they were able to use the excess money that I had with that to actually, and I'll get to that a little later, but to um, 
uh, once I started thinking about the fire service, was get my EMT, do a fire one and two class, and Major League Baseball paid for all that stuff. Mm, and, nice. And, well, but I, I want to talk about that, but I have a quick question going back to the uh, baseball, mm-hmm. the draft process, and it, it really... F- it really feels like, and this is a lot of what happens in life. I think there's, there are so many things that are outside of our control, right? Yes. But I look at this and say, well, what, what was in, what was in Richie's control in this situation? Mm-hmm. Right. And really what it was, was your input in as far as work. Yeah. Right? You could go and work and hustle and grind and fo- and that's the one thing you can control. Mm-hmm. Period. That, that was it. Right? And you know, it's so funny that you say that because I go and I talk to a lot of young players now, um, you know, whether it's um, high school kids, it's uh, college kids, um, that was the biggest thing that separated me from a lot of people because I kept thinking, I'm like, well, how am I different from this person who's got all these abilities and things like that? And they used to call it, so from home to first, 90 feet, ran hard 90s every single time, no matter how I hit the ball, if I hit it weak, if I hit it strong, always ran hard. through for scouts said that was the biggest thing that separated me because you get so many guys that pull up early uh i already know i'm going to be out yeah. really you don't know what and if he drops it yeah right you yeah. pop it up but what if that guy makes an error yeah and you could have been on second base and uh, that was the biggest thing that they said is separated yeah me. well because what because what you can't teach and this is so sounds i'm about to it's so <laughs> trite and and overdone but you can't teach heart mm-hmm you just can't. And when you see someone who is willing to hustle, yes, all the time, that is a difference between, you know, that's that whole difference between talent, like raw mm-hmm. just talent versus work ethic. Absolutely. Right? Like you can overpower somebody who's just got talent with work because mm-hmm. that person, the talented person doesn't necessarily have the ability to persevere when shit gets real. Right. Right? And so that's a big that's a big dichotomy between those two things. So I think that ability to demonstrate work ethic is really profound it's, and important. It's huge, and that's something that I preach now. Um, like I said to kids that I coach, or when I go back to Fresno State and I speak to the players there, is um, I'm like, I tell them, I'm like, trust me, I'm like, any of you guys, if whoever wants to play professional baseball, you guys can do it. You can make it to the big leagues. I was like, because one of the things, it wasn't necessarily a fear. I think it was more of a healthy fear because it kept me hungry to to do better, but you know, you got to go through those minor league levels and yeah. you got to climb the ladder. Mm-hmm. And there's six minor league affiliates to every major league team. You not mm-hmm. necessarily have to go through each single level. People skip levels. Um, but there is that ladder that you have to climb. Yeah. And I used to always wonder, like, well, am I going to be good enough at the next level? Then I get to the next level. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, am I going to be good enough for the next level? And then I get to the next level. I'm like, oh, okay. And then I get to the big leagues. I'm like, oh, my God, am I, I going to be good? And then I start seeing it. I'm like, it's still the same game. And um, you're going to have good people on your team. You're going to have bad people on your team. It sounds weird saying that when you're talking about the professional level or like the major league level, but it's still the same thing. You know, what people see is that is intimidating from a player standpoint is highlights. You know, they're watching highlights of the major league team on ESPN and this and that. They're walking all the good day. They don't watch the everyday play of that player. You you know what I mean? Right. And and see – the mistakes and things like that. And it's like, okay, it's yeah. For every highlight, changes. there's probably 25 oh, errors. <laughs> absolutely. And, it, and it's just like it, nothing, nothing ever changes. And I try to tell people that I'm like, look, I was like, you get intimidated by this pitcher or that pitcher as a hitter. I'm like, no, I was like the way they pitched in high school is the same way they're going to pitch in college. The same way they're going to pitch in professional baseball. The only thing that gets better with them is consistency. 
you know, mm-hmm. accuracy to throw strikes and things like that. But fastball is going to be their fastball. Their curveball is going to be their curveball and things like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, not everybody's like this. Those superstars that you'll see, like those are handful of people that you're going to see in Major League Baseball, like your Mike Trouts or your Derek Jeters and things like that. Not everybody's to that caliber. Right. You know what I mean? You have them, and then you have everybody else. <laughs> right. And so... Right. Yeah. And, and it's a degree, very small degrees of separation between those. Very, very much. You know, it's, very much. You know, yeah. I tell people the difference between, in a major league season where you're playing almost every single day, the difference between a 250 average hitter and a 300 average hitter is one hit a week. Mm. That's all it is. It's just one hit a week. And, um, you know, one of the big things that I want to talk about, actually, was... What I think helped me in baseball, and um, I learned a lot of stuff from baseball, but was that I was going back and finishing my education while I was playing. Yeah. And um, and what that did for me, and it wasn't so much, oh, well, now I got my bachelor's degree, but it was what I learned about myself in the process, and and yeah, I wasn't bound by baseball. You got a lot of guys who are just bound by and this is all they can do. This is their identity. This is who they are and this and yeah. that. Like to me I always knew that there was something else I could do. Baseball was something that I enjoyed. I love the game. I enjoy playing it. But I know that hey, when my time's done, I'm okay. Hmm. I can go do something else. Right. You know, there's other options. And I think that's what education did for me, like I was talking about earlier, is that I started understanding what my parents were telling me is that it creates options, whatever those options are. It builds doors. Yes. And, yeah. and, and it, builds, it builds doors. You got to go open those doors, but it, it creates these pathways that you can access yes. at some point, which is, yeah, tremendous. Yes. Yeah. And, 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 that, and that was just huge for me. And um, I ended up playing for eight years um, where I moved mostly in the minor leagues and uh, ended up making it to the big leagues. In uh, 2008 is when I got put on the big league roster with the Oakland A's. I got drafted in 04 by the Oakland A's, put on the big league roster in 2008, and um, something crazy happened. I ended up uh, getting a tumor in my abdomen. Had no idea where it came from. I started off spring training, come here for spring training in 2008, so like in February of 2008. And um, I'm like, oh, shoot, I'm out there practicing. I'm like, what is that in my stomach? Like something hurt. Like I almost felt like I got hit by something. Mm -hmm. And that, like, it didn't feel really internal. It almost felt just like a, just like a bruise or something like that. And uh, but it wasn't affecting my place. So I didn't think about it. And then um, rub it out. It'll go. Well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> rub some and dirt so, on it. <laughs> and so, um, and then that year, I got put on the roster, and we just got we just traded some of our big name guys for a bunch of minor league prospects. So now we're battling for positions, mm. and um, you know who's going to make the opening day roster out of camp type deal. And so. Another week goes by, it's getting a little bit worse. Now we have our physicals. Doctors coming in, doing our physical, pressing on stuff. Hey, anything good? Everything good? Oh, yeah, everything's good. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, you know, the last thing I could do was get put on the disabled list or something like that because now that just takes my opportunity away. Yeah. And uh, so kept going, kept going. Well, shoot, by the end of spring training, it looked like a freaking golf ball coming out of my abdomen. And um, I was just like, Okay, this is not right. It's growing yeah, fast. Yeah, this man. is growing yeah. fast. And um, they they had just told me I got put on the big league roster. We had went to the Bay Area, so every year at the start of the season we would play um, the Giants and we do the Battle of the Bay series. And um, and so um, we were playing in that series, and I finally went into my manager's office and I was like, "Hey, um, I don't know what's going on." I was like, "I got this big lump on my stomach, and you know it's painful now." 
you know, it's bothering me when I'm playing and this and that. So like, okay, well, we're going to get this thing checked out. So they're doing MRIs. They were doing ultrasounds. They're like, yeah, we don't really know what it is. It looks like it's some type of fatty tissue. It looks like it's some type of fluid. And people are trying everything. And so nothing, nothing. And so finally, I went to a specialist, and uh, they did a biopsy on it. They're like, hey, we don't know what this is, but it's growing fast. He's like, the good news is it looks like it's right underneath the skin. And so once we cut it out, 10 days to just heal, you'll be by playing. I said, oh, shoot, 10 days? I can do that. Piece of cake. And um, so they go in, and what looked like I said, a little golf ball on top, that was just the tip of the iceberg. And it was actually like a big mass in my abdominal wall. Yeah. And so they well, have, and, and what people can't see is that you're holding what looks like, uh, you're showing your hands <laughs> here, it looks like a freaking, uh, like a uh, honeydew melon. Yes. Right? And, and that's that's pretty much what it was. And so they had to go in and cut that whole thing out. And so now from 10 days, now pretty much the whole season. Um, And then they didn't really know how to, um, they called it a myxofibrous sarcoma, a low-grade cancer. Hmm. And so they didn't really know how to treat it because there wasn't that many cases of it here in the U.S. at that time. They said it was probably maybe 50 cases ever of it. That's what you want. You want to be the guy who's rare. That's the rare disease. (laughs) And so they were calling, I remember he told me, the doctor told me, I was calling over to Japan, I was calling over to Europe where they've had more cases. How they Hmm. treat it? Do we do... um, radiation treatment or do we do um chemotherapy yeah and or do we just hope that we got it just the surgery surgery. and so uh they uh recommended radiation treatment Mm -hmm. and so i got sent back here went over to mayo hospital Mm -hmm. and um why phoenix uh because this is where the hub is for the oakland a's oh copy and so um i would just go in that now i'm reporting back to their doctors all the time and and uh, physical trainers and stuff like that and so um I get sent back here. And then at that time, too, I was living here. So, uh, yeah. So I ended up moving here officially in 2006. Okay. And um, and so I um, went to Mayo Clinic and uh, started uh, doing radiation treatment with a radiologist. Well, after about a week and a half or so of uh, a couple treatments, uh, he calls me back in. He's like, look. He was like, we have really good radiation. We can stop it right where we need to. He's like, but the location of where that tumor was is putting all your vital organs at high risk mm. so if we continue on you could be at high risk of a heart attack by as early as 40 or we can stop and hope that they got everything so help me understand where exactly was that tumor so like it below was your right heart? it was it, yep um just uh below my left below my left pec um right on like my upper abdomen okay and it's it, they got an incision line probably about i'd say probably about five inches or so and um and so um so now there's just no muscle there it's just literally just the bone <laughs> And, um, it ruined the six pack. It ruined the six pack. <laughs> and so, uh, and I remember the doctor was like, well, he's like, you know, he's like, it's a good chance. You're not going to be the same player, you know, once you're completely healed. And I was like, okay, we'll see about that. And so <laughs> I'm still focused on challenge. Yep. Yeah, I need to get back out on the field. Right. Know. So, oh, of and, course, and, right? and that radiation was making music. So we stopped radiation. And the biggest uh, percentage of it coming back was in that first year, 50%. And then after that, it was significantly reduced. Um, and mm-hmm. so um, we uh, started doing uh, just regular rehab at the complex, uh, at the uh, spring training complex, um, where, I mean, I had pretty much learned how to walk again because, I mean, I was taking these baby steps. And yeah. I had I to mean, sleep think sitting of, up. You think about your core. Oh. And, and like, it, it, it's it is central to being able to move every part of your body. Yes. Like you, you don't realize how connected all that is until you get that until back you, injury or the, yeah. it, it, like when they go into their abdomen, like when you describe that, like 
that's pretty freaking invasive mm-hmm. and it's disrupting that whole central uh you know, section of muscle, you know, the whole uh, transverse abdominals yes. and all that, like every part of movement is affected by that. Oh, absolutely. And I, I mean, I had to sleep in a chair for like the first three months. Yeah. I couldn't lay down because I wouldn't be able to get up. <laughs> uh, I yeah. was like, oh, I didn't want to laugh. I didn't want to cough. Oh, yeah, I can you only know? imagine. And oh my so, gosh. <laughs> and so um, slowly started trying to, you know, get myself back. And then finally, um, I want to say probably about, uh july or something like that i started getting better movement and you know getting rotation back in my arms and things like that's where i could move and it wasn't bother- it was still hurting but it wasn't bothering as much but anything rotational was still hurting hmm. so like even just to try to throw a baseball like i was like ah you know i can't yeah. get my arm up you know yeah. to do that and um slowly started trying to get back and then probably about late august um i was out here and then started doing dry swings and then work started hitting off the tee and then somebody started flipping some balls underhand to me so it was a big progression trying to get back to live pitching and stuff like that and um literally at the end of the season i want to say it was almost september um i felt okay and i mean it was still bothering me a lot but i was like i can do it you know and the doctor said hey you're not gonna harm anything it's just a tolerance thing now and um So they sent me out to Sacramento, which is where their AAA team was, for rehab. And uh, I go out there for my rehab assignment, and I try to play a couple games. I was like, I can't do this. I was like, this is just killing me too much. And so set me out the rest of the year, had the whole offseason to kind of recover. And so now I'm starting to feel good again. It's January of 2009, and I'm like, hey. Starting to feel good again. I'm out there at the complex. I'm running around. I'm sprinting again. I'm throwing long toss. I'm hitting, doing all this stuff, trying to get everything back to normal. And um, the day after the Super Bowl, the A's trade me to the Chicago Cubs. (laughs) You know, and I saw it sitting at home just watching TV, and I saw it on the bottom line of ESPN. I was like, what? That's how you got notified? Yeah. I was like, what? And then, like, literally a minute later, you know, the A's called me and told me, and they're like, oh, we think it'll be a fresh start for you, you know, that whole start. I'm like, okay. So at that time, I started seeing my career start to go backwards, right. um, politically more so than physically, because I got back to 100% to the ball player that I was. And uh, went over to the Cubs. Um, long story short. Do you, do you think, though, as a commodity, they go, yeah, he, he's – you spent so much time out that they're like, yeah, we're done. Damage good. So yeah, the game, yeah, yeah, the game doesn't wait for you. And that's, that's something that I've learned is there's always people trying to push you out. There's Mm -hmm. always younger people coming in, can do what you do, if not better. Sure. And so the, the best, (laughs) the best ability in sports is reliability. (laughs) And (laughs) (laughs) if you, you can play out there, you don't have to be the best player, but if you can play every single day and you're not getting hurt and things like that, teams want you. Trusted commodity, right? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and so I went to the Cubs. I was on the um, so I was in big league spring training with the Cubs. I was doing well. Cubs signed another outfielder, a seasoned, a seasoned uh, major league ball player outfielder for like three years, thirty million. I'm like, oh, well, there goes my job. And sure enough, he comes. I get sent down to the minor leagues, and then I was just floating between Double A AA and Triple A with the Cubs that year, and then. Um, I was I, at that time. I started asking for my release because I'm like, hey, I was like, you guys trade for me. I understand it didn't work out. 
no, let me try to go somewhere else where I can get playing. Because then I wasn't getting the same amount of playing time either. And I understand. They got their prospects. These are guys who you invested in. Yeah. And, you know, that's just how the business goes. And um, and so it wasn't a bitter thing. It was just, I understand. I'm just playing you know? the game. Yeah. yeah. And the um, piece. so uh, finally got released from the Cubs like midseason in 09 and then picked up by the Yankees like the next day. And then uh, was in double uh, A AA and triple A with the Yankees and played well that rest of that season. Didn't re didn't end up re-signing with them or any other team that offseason, so I went to play independent league. Independent league is just like minor league baseball. You're just not affiliated with a major league team. Mm. And so any major league team can come and grab you, and everybody, no matter who you are, it has one cost to, to buy that player's contract. I don't know, it was like 1500 bucks or $2,000 or something like that. And they can take you and put you in their minor league system or put, bring you up to the big leagues, whatever they need. So I went uh, to play in the Atlantic League back east, which was a really good league. It, it'll rival any AAA league. Um, a lot of ex-big leaguers in that league and then AAA and AA guys. And um, so I was like, well, let me give this a try. And uh, played that full season. Did well. I started seeing guys that are getting picked up out of there who aren't doing so well, but they're getting picked up because, oh, they got five years in the big leagues or they got four years in the big leagues or six years, whatever. I'm like, so the veteran status. Yeah, yeah, you know, more so than their ability at that time or their production mm-hmm. and things like that. And so um, it's kind of I was like, commodity. and then there, here's the other aspect to that. If you're doing really well for your team and your team's in the playoff hunt and they're like, hey, we want to buy Richie's contract, that team can deny them and you'll never know about it. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, you know, I, did, I was like, I'll give it one year. But that's when I started really seeing guys on my team who were my age now, 36 years old, right? Um, stuff like that. I was like, I don't want to be like that. Yeah. You know, I was so 28 at the time. You talked about them paying for your EMT and all that. Yeah. So had that already happened back? So no. So that's, that's coming up right oh, now. okay. And so now I started thinking about, okay, well, you know what? I, I'm giving this try. I was like, you know, I'm having fun. I, I enjoyed everything that I learned about baseball, all the traveling that I got to do, all the different parts of the country. Now I can relate to a lot of people. Where, oh, I'm from a small town in Illinois. Oh, well, what town? You know, because played in pretty much almost every small town in the country. Yeah. I got an opportunity to go play in um, Mexico. I got an opportunity to go play in Panama, um, Dominican Republic. And so I've gotten to play everywhere and see the different cultures of baseball, but then also see how it's still wrapped around the same game. But it, it is definitely a noticeable difference in how the game is played. Hmm. And, um, and so, and that gave me more of an appreciation for them when they come over here, because that is very difficult with that whole culture shock. And oh, you yeah. still got to get out there and perform. I never realized that until I started going to those other countries to play and then, and, um, and being in their culture and immersed in that culture. And, and then, still having to go out and perform, but perform to their style of play. Hmm. And um, and so I started thinking about, okay, well, what else do I want to do? Um, I had some offers to uh, be a scout, the A's. They're like, hey, you know, we'd love to have you as a scout with us. And so I was thinking about it, but then at the same time, I was looking for something more stable. And just like a player, if you're a coach, a scout, a GM, assistant GM, doesn't matter who you are, your job is not secure. Right. You know, you're signing one-year contracts. I have a friend of mine, he's been working with Oakland A's for the past 16 years, been in the big leagues as their big league coach for the past six years. He told me this year was the first year he signed a two-year contract. Wow. <laughs> and so I was like, I just didn't want that anymore. I was tired of that stress of where am I going to have a job next. And um, 
It's a so, different. That's definitely a lifestyle issue, right? Like, oh, absolutely. There's some people who are like the love of the game and being affiliated with the game is so important to me that I will take whatever the cost. Like, if I'm making decent living, yep. I don't care what the sacrifice. I get to be part of this this thing. Yes. Um, absolutely. And then, it, and then saying, hey man, I, I, the juice ain't worth the squeeze. I got to do something that's yeah. stable and and long lasting mm-hmm. and you know build towards something else absolutely and so and i started thinking and then at the same time i wasn't ready for that scouting position because i still had the mindset of a player (laughs) so i'm like how am i going to go evaluate somebody when i still believe i should be on the field doing what they're doing right you know and um so i wasn't ready for that position at that time and uh, so i was talking to a couple of my uncles my dad's brothers um one works for long beach fire department one worked for la county he's been retired from la county now for a year and they were like, hey, uh, you know, why don't you look into the fire service? I was like, ah, I don't really know about the fire service, man. And uh, they're like, no, I think you'll like it. You know, just go check it out. Go talk to some people. They're like, you know, go to a station by your house. You know, um, they're like, bring them some ice cream. I'm like, bring them ice cream. They're like, yeah, bring them some ice cream. I was like, well, how much ice cream do I bring them? They're like, was well, it a big station? I was like, I don't know. It's pretty big, I guess. I was like. They're like, <laughs> how many trucks do hey, you listen, see there? Man, I was like, I some's see. good, more's better. Yeah. Okay, that's so <laughs> and so they're like, go get them a couple gallons and just go there. I was like, are you sure? And I thought they were messing with me. And they're like, no, I promise you. So I ended up going out, lived out in Ahwatukee. And so I went to 43 mm-hmm. and uh, brought a couple gallons of ice cream. And I met uh, Courtney Jenkins. He was uh, there and he was working overtime at the time over there. And Shout out to Corey Jenkins if he's listening. Yeah. Love you, brother. <laughs> and um, I remember meeting him. He invited me in and uh, just kind of gave him a little brief uh, background on myself and, you know, just kind of looking to learn about the fire service. Didn't know anything about it. Knew nothing. Didn't know you had to be an EMT. Didn't know anything. <laughs> and um, and so uh, he was explaining stuff to me, showing me around the station. I was kind of meeting some of the guys there, and I was kind of seeing how they were – you know, just very relaxed around the station. You know, he had guys doing different things. Um, and uh, he was kind of explaining to me how his daily routine goes at the station and showing me on the trucks and things like that and where the bedding. And I started seeing a lot of similarities to mm. the clubhouse because that's how it is in the clubhouse. You know, you got different guys doing their own different things, but a very relaxed atmosphere. And then they had got a call. He's like, hey, you want to come with us? I was like, uh, sure. And so he's like, yeah, yeah, go get on the truck. And so I got on the truck with him, ran a call with him. And then I saw how they went from being very, very relaxed to focused in on what they had to do. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this this is exactly like baseball. That's exactly what we do. You know, everything's super, super relaxed. Once it's game time, everybody's focused in. They know what they have to do. And that's what you do throughout the game. And then done with the game, back in the clubhouse, back relaxed again. And so I started seeing a lot of that. And um, he's like, yeah, why don't you come to my class? And... Um, he was like, and, uh, you know, we can talk some more. And he was like, I have a class on Wednesday. I was like, okay, cool. So I remember I come, I'm in my jeans. I got my polo shirt on. And he was like, you got workout clothes? I was like, no. He's like, yeah, we're going to my uh, kickboxing class. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> so he's like, don't worry. So he gave me some workout clothes, some PTs. And I went to go do the class with him. And then after that, he started, you know, telling me about EMT class. So I jumped right into an EMT class. This is 2011. Hmm. And, um, or yeah, summer or spring of 2011. So I jumped right into an EMT class um, out in Scottsdale uh, City College, mm-hmm. and um, just started going out. And I just kind of just dove head first right into the fire service, and never really looked back. Didn't think about baseball. And um, Phoenix was testing while I was in that uh, class, and so 
he was like, hey, Phoenix is testing. And um, so I remember putting in my um, interest card for uh, Phoenix. And then they sent me the packet. So I started studying that packet. Took the test while I was in my EMT class. And then um, I ended up getting in the second round interview. So it allowed me to finish that class and do my Fire 1 and 2 class at the same time. Because my uncles also said, they're like, yeah, won't you do a Fire 1 and 2 class? It's going to really let you know if this is something that it is that you want to do. And sure enough, it, it was because it was a big eye opener for me. Number one, working out and turnouts. I've never, never done that. And I was watching people do it and I was like, oh, that doesn't look too bad, you know. You know, they're walking around from here to here and they're doing this. So <laughs> I remember dragging the first tire in those turnouts. I was like, get me out of this thing. Like, <laughs> you know, and, and I remember um, uh, the um, instructor that I had at the time was like, just calm down, calm down, just breathe, just keep walking. He's like, <laughs> it yeah, happens it, to everybody. It's interesting because the, you know, the, as an athlete, like here, like, hey man, it's athletic endeavor. Like I can do that. No big deal. Mm-hmm. But the the confines of the equipment changes the the physicality of it right? absolutely it's a very different it's a and i you know i've had that experience even just being out of my turnouts for a while mm-hmm. and uh you know working in a different assignment or whatever coming back and putting my gear on and being like Ooh, like it's a different type of strain the restrictions in your shoulders and the heat, yeah the containment of your body heat etc oh my god all those little things puts a puts a stress on the body in a way that is very different yes um Absolutely. And, you know, I've learned very, very quickly <laughs> all those things and that there is an acclimation period to working in turnouts. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's something that I'll never forget. And I'll never forget that experience, uh, which is one of my main motivators of why I try to get in my turnouts as much as I can. Yeah. You know, to stay comfortable being uncomfortable, you know, is yeah. the best way I describe it because yeah. it never really gets easy. And, um, but after I did that class, I was like, this is, I, I like this and I, I'm really enjoying this. And I, was, and I had the opportunity to do more ride-alongs throughout the process. And then, um, eventually ended up getting hired with Phoenix. And did you ever test anywhere else? I did. I tested with Tucson and actually Tucson had hired me about a week before Phoenix had called me. Oh man. Yeah. So it was pretty close. You were hitting on, you are hitting on all cylinders. And so, um, <laughs> And so, uh, yeah, so that, that was it. Um, but I never tested like any California departments or anything like that. It was just here. But even then, like my uncles were telling me like, yeah, you want to work for Phoenix. You like, you're going to like Phoenix. Like we take a lot of our training from Phoenix and, you know, and, uh, they're right. I like it here. You know, just seeing how they do things versus how we do things. Um, not any better or worse. It's just different. But I think this is more catered to my personality, our department, um, in that relaxed more of a relaxed state um it's very militaristic you know the way that they do theirs and yeah and um that's i mean obviously i would be able to adapt to something like that but you know it really wasn't me and i think that may have turned me off that may would have turned me off i think if initially trying to look into trying to get hired with one of their departments or something it's that's an interesting point because i think that we uh need to be appreciative of the different organizations cultures mm-hmm. and when people are testing around a lot of times they're just testing everywhere because they just got to get on the fire department right but understand that every organization has a slightly different flavor yes and uh, and sometimes they're pretty far apart from one another even in arizona tucson uh has a much much more rigid culture yes than phoenix fire does yes and you know phoenix is pretty you know i would say famous for the uh laid back 
disposition that we have, um, which has its, you know, it had, that has its drawbacks, right? So there's, Mm -hmm. there's good and bad in all these different cultures. And, um, you need to align yourself with an organization that has a, that you feel you'll be a good fit for. Right. Um, so, and hopefully in a hiring process, we suss that out, right. Mm -hmm. And, and get people who are aligned with us. But, you know, so luckily you landed in Phoenix Yeah. and, um, here you are. Wait, what year was that? This was 2000. So 2012, it was July, 2012. When I got hired, I got hired as a red shirt here in Phoenix. And then I went through 13 ones Academy. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So when you think about being a firefighter, what to you are some of the main connection points to, or the things that you learned on the field that, that help you be an effective firefighter? Um, Number one is 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 really it's that self discipline. Um, when you're playing professional sports, nobody's gonna be down your throat about what you need to do. Okay, they're paying you to do them a service, and if you're not gonna perform, well, that's kind of on you. Now you're giving them reason. Now, is there other aspects to um, or um, other reasons why people move up or down or in and out? Yes, but like we talked about earlier, what can you control? You can control work ethic. Um, you can control um, your ambition, um, things like that. And so those are some of the things. And then working around all these different people, all my teams, I've had people not only um, that just were from different areas of our country, but outside the country. So now I'm, I'm, I'm having to communicate with a guy from Japan or a guy from Dominican Republic and seeing how the guy from Dominican Republic Spanish is different from the guy from Mexico Spanish and how his Spanish is different from the guy from Venezuela Spanish and they all have slightly different cultures but you had to learn it to navigate around all those different types mm-hmm. of people and to get along with them to learn from and what I found I started learning from them just as much as they're learning from me we hard I, I don't want to say I hardly learned from my coaches but I learned more from my teammates than I did coaches yeah. and um and just having to get along, and it's just accepting one another. But when you accept people, now you can better yourself because you're more open-minded. And so and then you started building those friendships, those relationships. So there would be times like where I didn't see guys from when I was in A-ball to, you know, four years later, and I'm in AAA, and all of a sudden I see them because they went to another team, got traded to this team, they traded to this team, and now we're meeting before the game in center field, you know, giving each other hugs. Hey, how you been? You're just picking up from where you left off. It's the same thing that I see on this fire service. There's guys that I don't see that I haven't seen since my academy. But then, shoot, seven years down the road, I see him on a fire, and we just pick up where we left off. And it's I don't like to say out of sight, out of mind, because you still think about people. But it really is until you see them again, and it's like you never missed them. You know, it's that camaraderie that you build, and it's that you build the going through stuff together. Yeah, um, there's. those bonds are really really important right Mm because you're building trust with one another right and i think really when you go through like uh like you talk about academy you know your partners in the academy right your academy mates Mm -hmm. you build you you go through this rigorous situation together yes and that really is bonding because you are all in this vulnerable state uh you know interpersonally and emotionally and you're doing that together and i think that and I'm gonna make. I would make this jump, uh, having never been a professional ball player. But when you're competing for positions in an organization, and everybody's in that same uh, horrible situation, yeah, all together, it's bonding. It and, is. Um, 
you know, it's and a similar type it, situation. And it's, you know, one of the big things, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because you just reminded me, but one of the biggest things that you see, especially in the minor leagues, um, everybody's trying to move up, right? So not even just the players, but the coaches, the mm, training staff. Yeah. Everybody's trying to get to the next level. And though you're competing with one another in a sense, you're still there for one another. You're still there to 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 work with each other, to to um, build off each other. I'm always a big person who's who believes that iron sharpens iron. Hmm. And um, and um, if you can if you can kind of take your vulnerability and say, hey, this is what I got. Here it is, you know. And they say, hey, this is what I got. And now you can kind of build off each other. You're only making each other better. It's the same thing that you kind of see in the fire service. In the fire service, we have all these testing processes. So you're competing with one another. But then you find that special group or those, and, and you can work with them. And you're like, hey, this is what I got. You're not scared to, to divulge information and things like that because you trust in them that they're going to do the same or whatever. But you guys are building off each other, and all you guys are going to do is make your status better, make your testing process better when you go and do that test. Even though you're you're competing it with each other, but you're really not, in a sense, you know what I mean? Because it's this is a department. This is the department is one big team. It's the same thing like when you're on a team in sports. You're one big team. Yes, you guys all want to move up and do this, and you have aspirations to go here or go there, but in a sense, you're there to make each other better at that point in time. Right. And, hey, and if I don't invest in my compatriots right mm-hmm. and 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 you're in a position to make a decision if i don't invest in you and you are in a position to make a decision one day it could cost me my life mm-hmm. and shame on me if i didn't spend the time if i know something if i have information and i don't share it right mm-hmm. because i think i'm holding on to it i'm clutching it like it's the it's the uh you know the epitome the, the answers to the universe and i don't want to share that because sure. you might take something away from me mm-hmm. that is a that is born out of fear Right. right and insecurity. Yes, absolutely. And, and it's it's really important for us to be successful as a team, mm-hmm. right? To be successful as an organization, as a fire department, as a engine company, as a ladder company, as brothers mm-hmm. that we share information. Absolutely. You know, and and that's where I talk about anything about vulnerability. Like I have to be willing to say, "Hey, man, I'm I'm going to share this with you because uh, I, I and I'm worried that I'm giving away something precious, right?" If you don't give it away, it's just going to wither and die inside of me, right? Mm-hmm. I have to share it in order for it to grow. Absolutely. And that we have to get past that sometimes. Our ego gets in the way. Mm-hmm. You know, we try to control everything with this this knowledge we have, but we have to share. We have to be willing to give. Yeah. Because yeah, my life could depend on it, you know, yeah. if we stretch this all the way out to its end. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. You, I think you, ha- you have to, and you, I think you, you hit the nail on the head when you're talking about it. It's an insecurity thing. And, and if you can trust and believe in yourself that, hey, I don't care what I give away or this tip or that tip because no one can do it like me or say it like me, um, express this like me. And and they shouldn't because that's what makes us different. Right. And um, they should be able to express that same information their way and, and and why it's important to them versus why it's important to you. Right. So we're, you know, what you're hitting on, we're talking exactly, well, this would be very clear here. We're talking about a promotional process, right? Mm-hmm. So let's say, for example, we'll talk about like a captain's process. Um, very, very competitive. I would, I know it is in our organization. I assume it is in other fire departments as well. But here you have this, you have, you, we hire really good people. Mm-hmm. And now we, 
We, we raised these folks up in our organization, and now we're narrowing it down to a smaller group yep. of, these, of these high performers, and we're going to try to suss out who we want to be the next leadership in the organization, right, at the right. company officer level. And so in that group of people, it gets very competitive amongst mm-hmm. that group. The problem that we run into, right, is this idea that uh, I'm going to go somewhere and I'm going to find all the little gold nuggets and that is going to be the answer. And what I hear you saying, I think is really important, if I'm understanding you correctly, is the nuggets of information, these little gold nuggets, we you call them, mm-hmm. uh, is only as valuable as my ability to express my understanding of that nugget. Right. So I can tell you, hey, man, a company officer needs to be able to provide servant leadership. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. That's a gold nugget, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what does servant leadership look like? in the firehouse and only you can tell me what how that really looks to you from your perspective right. your understanding of it and i could sit here and you know tell you all day long how i do it as a company officer but your ability to execute that and express it is is incumbent upon you yes so that's a really uh you know and then what can you control right like going all the way back to and, the beginning. And going back what can you control you can only control what it is you do and you're talking about yeah i like what you're saying as far as people oh, i'm trying to go here and get this nugget or go here i've always believed and this is something that worked for me in in baseball so in baseball I'll just kind of relate it i like to work with certain hitting coaches um because that's who i understood and that's who i believe had my best interest out for me because mm-hmm. you'll get other coaches that'll try to give you information and and maybe it was just oh you know so that if you do go out there and be successful they can say oh well, i told him that or, you know what I mean? And so they'll be like, oh, try this or try that, try that. When they're trying to fix something that's not broke. Um, but mm-hmm. the best coaches that I had was they're going to take what you do and make it better. Um, you know, when I went to start shopping around for agents to represent me, I would I didn't care about the agent that represented Derek Jeter or that represented A-Rod. That, that's great. It's easy to be their agent. You don't have to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> they, they promote themselves. Oh, you know, yeah. but – Tell me, tell me about what you do for your guy in A-Ball who's been on three different teams in the past year and a half and um, how you're making their situation better. You know, and, and you got a lot of those. But, no, I went with the agent that I thought was going to be best serving to me in my situation. And so I was able to talk to some of his clients who were in the minor leagues. Hey, how do they do? And my agent was great. My agent, not only have they helped me throughout my career in baseball, mm. but even after baseball. They helped me with getting on with the fire department, um, you know, writing good recommendation letters, things like that. They helped me just recently uh, with obtaining my master's degree, um, writing me a recommendation letter to get into that um, to get into that program and and um, doing things like that. So they're always constantly trying to help. You know, is there anything else I could do? Hey, these are my plans for life after the fire service. Okay, well, let us know what we can do for you. They're always there. Those are good people. Those are people that I can trust is what I'm getting at. Yeah. And so when I'm talking about testing processes and things like that, I I don't need to go to just this person, this person, this person, just to say I was there. But no, who do I believe is really going to have my best interest out for me? You know, who am I going to understand? Who do I see eye to eye with? Things like that, because like you said, you have to have an understanding of that nugget in order to use that properly for yourself. Right. And um, not everybody can do that for you. Right. So it's funny you say that, because I remember distinctly in, as I was growing up in the fire service, there was a time when 
I, I started to think about the tactics, for example, mm-hmm. and I needed a script, right? Mm-hmm. I needed to know what what was the what was the plays, uh, you know, uh, single story residential house fire. What okay? What do I do? Right. right. As a hoseman, I knew exactly what to do. Stretch a hose here, squirt water there. Yep. But I'm like, well, what what does a company officer do? I don't know. I haven't been paying attention. <laughs> What's that guy do up there? I have right. no idea. And so I wanted the I needed a script. And it, and that, you know, I started with the basic, you know, do A, do B, do C, do mm-hmm. you know, whatever, blah, 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 blah. Just go down the line. But I didn't understand tactics. And I remember sitting down with one of my really good friends. And he was very a much more seasoned uh, firefighter, mm-hmm. and he he was we were walking through a tactical problem, and he's like, "Well, this is what you're going to do. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. This is why." Ba 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 ba. He explained to me exactly what was happening and why he was doing it, mm-hmm. and I remember just being dumbfounded, thinking, "How the heck don't I understand this?" And it was about it was about organizational maturity right. and operational maturity, sure. and having grown up enough to be able to to really understand what is happening on the fire ground, not just in a very, uh, not in a SOP uh, step-by-step manner, mm-hmm. but but more uh, philosophically. Sure. Right? And, and actually being able to read the fire ground and understand what's taking place. My point in saying all that is we, that was about me gaining a true understanding and sitting down with that friend and having him walk me through that helped me see where I was at that time and mm-hmm. where I was in my space. In my mind, I, sh- I should understand this better. Yeah. But I didn't yet. Right. And so we have to go to mentors. And this is why it's so important to, to help each other get to grow. Absolutely. Because, hey, what if I'd have gone through that, that testing process, been successful, and thought that my tactics were on point? Uh, right. I wasn't ready. Right. Right. And I needed somebody to help me understand my areas of weakness mm-hmm. so that I could go and develop those. Right. And that, that's why I think being vulnerable is so important because being able to share with somebody, hey man, here's the gap. Here's the gaps that I'm having. How do I, and then having someone say, be honest with you. Yeah. Hey man, here's, I see you. I see your gap. Let me show you what you need to do to go fill that gap. Right. Here's the things you need to read. Here's the things you need to study. Yep. You know, come back when you got, when you're, Ready to have that conversation, whatever. Yeah, but that that's important. Honest feedback is is so so important, and some people are afraid to give that. And you know, I truly believe that your true friends they're going to give you that honest feedback. Mm-hmm. You know, because they know that's not going to compromise friendship. You know, people that really you know, yeah, they know you or you know, acquaintances, things like that. They don't really want to give you that that true true feedback because of it's just you don't have that relationship yeah. built, you know? Well, you f- um, there's consequences, right? <laughs> so you, you feel like, it, well, if we're not willing to, to go to a difficult place with each other, mm-hmm. then um, be- because I'm fearing reprisal or I'm fearing right. that it's going to destroy or undermine our relationship or you're going to think that I'm up to something politically mm-hmm. and, and, you know, it's the whole, it's the whole, uh, 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 the allegory, the story, whatever, of yeah. the, the emperor's new clothes. Yeah. Nobody wanted to tell the emperor that he was naked. Yeah. Oh, those are the finest clothes. You look wonderful. You know, blah. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they were afraid their head was going to get chopped off? Right. Yeah, right? So this is like a it, it's it's funny because this is something that happens in in organizations largely like mm-hmm. there's a culture of fear and we worry about sharing ideas for fear of being told we're stupid. Yep. Um but it also happens at a much lower level at an interpersonal level. 
Yeah. Right. I'm afraid that if I if I'm share with you my inner thoughts, you're going to think I'm an idiot. Right. Right, and that's <laughs> that's a, that's a that's a big fear that I've I've seen you know in this department. I've seen elsewhere in sports and my education. You know, you see that people get afraid to participate sometimes because of what others are going to think. And I think what people forget is, hey, we're all here to learn. We're all here to get better. If we all knew it, we wouldn't be here. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And well, so, and, and we're all on, uh, you know, going back to my conversation about taxes with my friend, right? Mm-hmm. We're all on a trajectory. Mm-hmm. We're just in different places on it. Absolutely. You know? And so absolutely, if nobody shares with you what they know, You're right. you think, oh, I got this licked. No, you don't. No. You're a danger to yourself and everyone around you. Right. <laughs> right. So we have to be willing to share with each other the hard truths about what we know and don't mm-hmm. know and how we can get better. Absolutely. It's important. It, it is important. And, you know, I think one of the ways that you do that is is get to the point to where you start trying to teach other the things that you do know um, mm-hmm. so that you can get better because you got to know something if you're going to teach something. Yeah. And um, that's something that I've always seen, like, you know, just, I mean, like I said, I dove head first into this career with EMT. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, you know, I'm learning something about medical stuff. I'm like, <laughs> how did I get here? And But then at the same time, I'm sitting there listening to my instructor. I'm like, gosh, I just want to be in his brain and know what he knows. And uh, I'm like, ah, oh, you know, and I started thinking, I'm like, shoot, I was like, gosh, dang. I was like, you know, and then the thought of being a paramedic, I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, you know, that much more education. But then once I got through that EMT and I started really understanding you know, what an EMT does versus a paramedic. And really, as a paramedic, you just reinforcing your EMT skills um, with the exception of a couple new things, pharmacology and some cardiology. Um, hey, let's not diminish the, th- not the <laughs> thumbprint of God that is bestowed upon <laughs> but, my paramedics. But the point I'm getting at is um, when I was able to start helping others uh, with their EMT class, and then all of a sudden I was able to, now I'm, I get to start teaching my own EMT class, and I'm like, how did I get here? You know, I just remember just like it was yesterday, like I was on the other side, right. and I'm like, shoot, like I want to know what this person knows, but it's just through constant education, and, and you know, you know, this is an evolving job, career, we know, we all know this, and so you got to constantly keep up, things are always changing, and yeah. um, I remember my, uh, my first uh, booter captain, uh, Terry McHugh, uh, he used to always see me. Uh, he's like, hey, you got it all figured out yet? And I'm like, <laughs> no, not yet. He was like, good. And his whole thing was, you know, once you got it figured out, it's time to retire. Yeah. Because you shouldn't have it figured out. Yeah. You know, if, yeah, if you are... get it all figured out, <laughs> let me know, man. Yeah. Damn, <laughs> yeah. I think there's always yeah. uh, that that. The idea that we should always be curious and and, and right. willing to explore things that we don't understand, right? And and mm-hmm. and admitting, hey man, there's I don't know that I need to know that I want to know that, right? And I'm curious about X Y Z. Would I mean? So you mentioned that you went and uh, completed a master's degree, or yeah? Are you in it now? Or you no, no, no. I've, I've, I've I graduated back in December. And what did you get that? In? I got that in. Um, it was a master's of legal studies with an emphasis on sports law and business. Oh, okay. And um, it's, which was interesting about that degree um was that there's a lot of things i was able to apply to how i provide service on this job to how i um do things on this job so mm. like for instance uh one of the classes that i took uh was uh healthcare and compliance and um 
I had no idea about all the different legality to um, how the healthcare service can create more revenue for itself by their documentation hmm. and, um, and false documentation at that. And so, um, but then at the same time, how we lose so much money because of our lack of documentation. And so it's changed the way that I document when I'm on calls, uh, when I'm doing my patient care forms, when I'm doing my tickets to the hospital, um, and just kind of understanding the, the real difference between a BLS call and how that's got to match, that patient care form has to match up with that ticket versus an ALS uh, care form, how that has to match up, and, um, and different things like that, and are like, you know, um, people that are on those, uh, you know, the government um, insurances, the access, and, um, mm-hmm. you know, with the Medicare, Medicaid, things like that, like, you know, they think, oh, well, I can go to the hospital, I have um, insurance, and something that, that I've learned is, well, if you do take a 911 ambulance to a hospital, you know, there's a possibility that they can charge you because they're considering that an ALS uh, intervention when this is a BLS call for what your complaint is and stuff like right. that. Yeah, you can and, want all day to yeah. go to the hospital by ambulance, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's covered, yeah. uh, that it's appropriate and covered. Yeah, right? and, like, and, and so I, I just mm-hmm. want to inform them that before we, we go through that stuff. And, yeah. and, um, and it's not that I don't want to take them to the hospital, but it's, it's, just, it's just an education uh, thing that I can give them and provide for them. And, right. and, I'll, and I'll even call them like, hey, give me your access card. Let me call the number on the back. Let me see if I can talk to these people and uh, see if they have some type of um, non-emergent transport for you to go get your medications and things like that. Right. And um, and that's what I've been able to do because it's something that I've just learned just through this program, which was indirectly, you know, helped me out with the fire service. And then I've gotten, I've talked to e- ETS a lot. And as far as like, hey, you know, when you, we're not signing those tickets, we can't get paid for that. You know, right. if you're not no, putting you X, com- Y, and Z, you gotta have complete documentation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and, but you know, yeah. it's just like little things like that. Or you know, if you put you know puts in there, you know, patient unable to sign, you have to state why they're unable to sign. Right. Um, things like that, and so you know, it's just little things that I feel like that's helped me with um, how I go about my business on the job now, and how that's helped me help the department, um, help the city. And, um, you know, or other things like I've taken like um, I've taken a dis- uh, employment discrimination law, mm. you know, which is huge, you know. And I think even now with how times are changing and different things like that with all the protected groups um, and then how that's even expanding to the transgender and, and things like that, like mm-hmm. um, how you have to go about navigating around the stations and, you know things that you say and how you act well it's funny it's funny you say that because we we talk about station environment and Mm -hmm. the culture that we have as an organization or the culture that the fire service has had over the last 150 200 years whatever Mm -hmm. has evolved right and continues to evolve and part of that is is academic and part of it is human and real and, and just tangible and um you know and that's and part of it is just the the American culture in general has, mm-hmm. has changed and shifted and it's important that we understand where we're going with that right. um, or at least where we are today sure. and uh, you know the legal ramifications of of the way we behave yeah, in the station right? absolutely. there's consequences yeah, to the way that it. we treat people and, mm-hmm. and abs- absolutely um, you know and then you know some of the things I've learned about all the different uh, players associations for NFL for um, baseball hockey basketball and 
it's given me a greater respect for how our union operates, you know, mm-hmm. and the different things that our union does uh, for us as far as the membership goes. And uh, because they're all one and the same, they all pretty much do the same things. They have the same usually arguments and things like that and, and, right. uh, and how they go about that stuff. So, it, you know, it's just kind of educated me more about how that stuff operates yeah. within an organization, any organization. Do you have any aspirations to get back in baseball so in I some do. fashion after the, I do. After the uh, um, fire department? Uh, so thing that I'm currently uh, endeavoring in is um, I'm working with a guy. He is the uh, sports uh, – or he is the MLB – uh, director of uh, field operations, and he's also uh, the director of the diversity pipeline within baseball. And so, what he does is he works in the commissioner's office out in New York. And um, what he does is he goes and he does these different seminars slash camps for youth. Um, usually, like I want to say about high school kids, and hmm. and a lot of times they're you're going to have a lot of prospects type in there. So you know, back in Florida, they have like the Hank Aaron. Uh, camp out here. Um, uh, Ricky Henderson will do one. They have one out in Santa Clara that USA Baseball does. And he goes and he talks to a lot of these kids about how to better market themselves to uh, for uh, not only college, but for the professional level of baseball and the mindset that they have to have, because that's what it is. It's, it really is 90% mental. When you're playing every single day, mm-hmm. it's like Groundhog's Day. Yeah, and yeah. how do you have a short memory of forgetting okay yesterday i went 0 for 4 before strikeouts okay you got to get rid of that out of your head and just play the next game because if you let that dwell in your head it carries over it carries over it carries over how do i know that because i've done it yeah and you get this frustration then finally ah woosah all right now let me start getting better again well after that shoot 18 20 at bats have already gone by to where i didn't care about because i was upset and i couldn't bounce back and so how do i bounce back faster and things like that and so helps them with that type of mindset and um that's something that I like to talk to the youth about, too, is just focusing on positive things. Baseball, there's a lot of things you can't control. You can't control a hit, but you can control how you hit the ball, but you're not controlling where they stand out in the field. Um, you know, you can control that you get a good pitch and you put a good swing on it. You can't control those things, and so you got to take those things as positives because that's what those scouts are writing down. You know, you know one of the big stats that they have is hard contacts, you know, because they know that that's going to equate to more hits over the course of a career. Um, you know, once you get on first base, yeah, maybe you didn't get a hit and it was an error. That's fine. But now you're a base runner. How can you better your team? Okay. Let me steal this base, get in scoring position. And so I started thinking in those terms, I remember this started for me in 2007 in double a where I had a bad first half. And then I talked to my minor league director and he just kind of gave me some motivation a little bit and just helped me with focusing on those good things. And so now instead of me putting, Oh, Richie went one for four or oh for four or you know, one for five, I just started putting three quality at-bats, two quality at-bats, four quality at-bats. And I didn't look at the numbers of hits versus no hits or errors or anything like that. And then how many runs scored, things like that. I just started putting positive. And, just, and I kept putting them on each of my scheduled days that we had on our calendars, on our game calendars. And by the end, what I saw was by me playing for the team and just trying to better that team, all my numbers came up too. Mm-hmm. Why? Because I eliminated all, okay, strikeouts and this and that all the negative stuff with the game and um and so he goes around and he talks to kids about that at these seminars um and then also he talks to current players professional players and uh former players about the transition of baseball and um 
that's something that I'm big with talking about too because I go back to Fresno State every year for um, alumni weekend and I'll talk to the players there and one of the big things that I talk to is about education because number one in college the biggest way that you can promote yourself um, for an amateur draft is how well you do in school because that's going to be your biggest bargaining right you know if you're a junior and you're getting a you know a three eight and um, that team drafts you and you're like hey I don't want to sign I'm going to go back to school they'll probably up your value because they're like, hey, okay, well, he's serious about going back to school. Whether if you're that same player and you have a 2.0, I'm like, ah, you don't want to go back to we school. We don't believe you. Yeah, <laughs> we'll wait. You know, And so that's one of the biggest things. But at the same time, um, I just talked about like what we talked about earlier about as far as finishing your degree and what you're going to learn about yourself and creates more opportunity. It kind of puts more of an ease at the game yeah. when you go and play and you know that you're not bound by this game. Um, but also the transition, um, like with me, like I would have never thought in a million years I was going to get a tumor in my abdomen. And if you would have told me that when I was 19, I was like, ah, please, I'm playing until I'm 40 years old. Right. And, um, but things happen. And, uh, and so that's something that I talked to them about and how I was okay with it because I wasn't bound by the game. This game wasn't my identity. It was just something that I did. And, but I was able to use the lessons that I've learned in baseball to, go do something else. And that's something that they have to see. There's so many lessons that we learn as far as leadership, uh, professionalism, all these things that you're doing constantly, you know, because you, when you're out there on the field or, you know, you're out at a restaurant, wherever, you're always representing that team. It's the same thing with the fire service. You know what I mean? Phoenix firefighter did this. You know, they yeah. don't care about the individual's name. Yeah. And, um, and so that was one of the big things that I talked about. And then with the transition, um, you'll get a lot of players that, they don't know how to get out of that zone, I guess, or mentality that I'm a player. No, you're not a player anymore. You right, know what I mean? You right. had two knee surgeries and you're 35 years old. Right. Yeah, or uh, or they have that entitlement. Hey, I played 10 years of pro ball. You know, So they expect that when they go to another career, they're supposed to start at the top. They don't understand that, yeah, you, right. this is something completely different. This is not job experience. Right. You know, you have to start back at the bottom. So, you, you know, something that you, you mentioned that I thought was really interesting was the lessons that you've learned, the leadership lessons, the work ethic lessons, the there's it, the things that you learn as a major league athlete translate into every other environment. But yeah. you have to go and figure what those things are. Like, what is the lesson that you learned? And you know, there's a. I often think about you know when I was testing and in different phases of my career, I mm -hmm. I've thought, okay, what what have I done in my life that I'm bringing to the table? Mm -hmm. And, you know, in every facet of my life, uh, I've learned different lessons. And, sure. I remember, you know, uh, back in the day, I used to run triathlons. And I ran an Ironman triathlon. And I came into an interview. And I wanted to, in my mind, I'm like, well, this, is an, this was a, a hallmark moment in my life. Like, this was a big deal to me. Mm -hmm. How do I share with the board without sounding like a freaking egomaniac mm -hmm. or a crazy person <laughs> that I ran an Ironman? Yeah. And, and and uh, actually, Courtney Jenkins was the person who told me, he goes, hey, man, he goes, focus on what you learned mm -hmm. by doing an Ironman. And what what were those lessons that transfer over into the fire department? And, you know, I and, you know, the couple of things I focused on or one of them was I learned that uh, I could go to the end of my physical capacity, what I perceived to be my physical capacity. Mm -hmm. And there was more. And there was more. Absolutely. Right. And. And at one point, uh, in the very back half of the marathon, my wife 
who was seven months pregnant, came out and walked with me for about a quarter mile. And I was, long story short, I was having cramps in places that I didn't think I had <laughs> muscle tissue, and it was all cramping up. I was in a bad way. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm walking and walking, and I'm trying to keep moving. I'm trying to keep moving, and my wife joins me. And she walks with me for uh, about a quarter mile, seven months pregnant, waddling along, and um, and she's like, hey, what's going on? And I'm like, I, I'm just hurting. I don't even know what, I can't even explain it. I'm hurting really bad. And she's like, okay, I'll see you at the finish line. And she left. <laughs> and and I spent the next six miles waddling and realizing how important it is to have somebody who has your back. Absolutely. Right? And who says, I I will see you at the finish line. Mm -hmm. So I know. So I took that same, I took that lesson. And every step of my life where I've struggled with something, I go, she's got my back. And so that has been an important life lesson that I turn in, you know, now as a, you know, in the fire service, I go, Hey man, when I'm struggling with something, I know I have somebody who's got my back. Sure. I learned that lesson in the middle of a grind, uh, during Ironman. <laughs> not, not a likely thing to take away from that. But if you spend time and you think about your life's events, Absolutely. right, you think about your time on the field, the different challenges and the different trials you went through during the course of your baseball career, Absolutely. Right? It translates. And I think that every phase of your life, you're going to pick up more lessons. Yeah. And, you know, so I think that it's very important that we're uh, introspective and that we're thoughtful about what is going on in our life. We're present and we're thinking like, what am I getting from this, this experience? And can I, does it, how does it make me a better person? And how can I share that with other people in my life? Mm -hmm. You know, um, Absolutely. Yeah. So I think it's really important that you're talking about that. You talk about transition. You're going and you're sharing that with people because it's about perspective. Yeah. Hey, man, step detach for a second and look at your baseball career from the outside. Mm -hmm. You know what are what did you learn there? Right. You know. And you know, one of the things for me, what I learned about myself um, is that I was I was never I was never satisfied. I was. I was always trying to get better in some form, way, shape, or aspect of my career, whether it was on the field, um, whether it was interacting with my teammates, um, learning from them. I used to try to sit down with some of my uh, Latin uh, teammates and just try to talk Spanish with them. You know what I mean? And, but at, what I what I found out when I was doing that they saw that I was taking an interest in them, and so therefore we we built a trust among each other. Mm -hmm. And then you know, and so they they accepted me a lot more. Hey, you know, when you come over to the DR, you can come stay with me, <laughs> and um, you know, I'll show you around everywhere, and blah blah blah, and do all these different things. And um, but at the same time, it was, it was also just kind of how I went about my everyday business. Um, I never wanted to give people a reason. Baseball is so easy to give them a reason to keep them where you're, to keep you where you're at or, yeah. or um, to, to not advance you and, and things like that because you see all this movement going around you and you're wondering why. How did this guy get moved up? How did this guy get moved down? Yeah. You know, how did this guy get released? Whatever it is. And then you start worrying about all these things so much that all of a sudden your performance starts going down. And so I've always wanted to c carry myself in that professional way. I've always liked to be the first one at the field, um, getting working. What I saw was when I started doing that, other teammates started kind of tagging along. 
Mm-hmm. And then you'll see more and more start showing up early and we all start getting working. And all of a sudden, before you know it, everybody's at the field early. And and then now you kind of realize that, hey, you know what? You guys are a team. You know, everybody's in it together now. You know, plan to do this for as long as I can. <laughs> well, Richie, if, if somebody wants to follow along with your follow your journey uh, through social media or wants to reach out to you by email or what have you, how would somebody do that? Um, so they can find me on Facebook um, under Richie Rob, um, and then also yeah, if they ever want to contact me, they can contact me on my email. My personal email is uh, rrobnet3 at gmail.com, and that's the number three. And so um, if they have any questions, but that's where I'm at right now. And right on. Well, thanks for taking the time and sitting down with me, brother. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Right on, man. And that's all we got for today. Thanks, Richie, for sitting down and, and rapping with us and sharing with us your thoughts and ideas, uh, your experiences, and, uh, and how those apply into the fire service. If you enjoy the Fireground Fitness Podcast, uh, appreciate you taking the time and, and sitting and listening. Uh, go to whatever platform you enjoy. Subscribe. Also, would love some feedback, so feel free to email me. Go to Apple Podcasts. Leave a rating. Leave a review. Uh, your feedback can only help me make this thing better. That's all I got for now. Take the lessons you're learning in your life. Go on out there. Lean into whatever it is you're doing and get some.